a blessing is a technical term. It's also not a technical term. It starts with the word Baruch, and it typically ends with the word Baruch. So say the first blessing of the Amidah, Baruch Atah Hashem, and the traditional text is Eloheinu Vohev Oteinu, Elohei Avraham, etc. And the blessing that we have at the end of that section, Baruch Atah Hashem Mogein Avraham. That's the traditional standard blessing. And that starts with Baruch, ends with Baruch. What comes afterwards, the next blessing, doesn't start with Baruch. And that's because one of the rules that you have about blessings is when you have one blessing that follows another, the second blessing doesn't have to start with the word Baruch. It's called a Bracha Smucha It ends with Baruch. Baruch Hashem Metim. And so forth in the entire Shemona Esrei, which means 18. So the Shemona Esrei that we have consists of 18 blessings. Actually, the 19 blessings, because there was another blessing added. In the time of the Talmud, there were probably only 18 blessings. And somehow over time, there became a 19th blessing. One blessing became split into two. But in any event, whether it's 18 or 19, it's called the Shemona Esrei. Even though we say 19, we call it the Shemona Esrei. But it consists of a set of blessings. And that's true every day. That's, that's the standard. That's the standard. Sometimes it's, 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 something's changed a little bit, but fundamentally, that's what it is. On the holy days of the year, the festivals, the sacred days... So we, um, we have seven blessings. The first three blessings and the last three blessings never change. I mean, with small modifications, but fundamentally they're the same blessings for every prayer. The middle blessing, however, on, say, let's say, let's say the holiest day, Shabbos. It's the holiest day that we have. In the middle of the Shemona Esrei on Shabbos, we have one blessing. Starts different ways. I mean, it ends always the same way. Baruch Hashem Mekadesh Shabbat. It's a blessing. So therefore, we have so great. We have one blessing on Shabbos. We have one blessing, and we have three in the beginning, three at the end. Total of seven. And that's true of all the prayers that all the holy days that we have. The holy day of Pesach, and the holy day of Shavuot, and the holy day of Sukkot, and the holy day of Simchas Torah, even the holy day of Yom Kippur. The Musaf of Yom Kippur can take four hours to say, but one blessing, actually. Kaddish Yisrael V'yom in The exception to the rule is an important point. The exception to the rule is Rosh Hashanah. And not all the prayers of Rosh Hashanah, just the Musaf of Rosh Hashanah. And, um, want to sit here? Yeah, there you go. So the Musaf of Rosh Hashanah has nine blessings. Nine blessings. Three in the beginning, three at the end, and the middle there are three blessings. This is the essential this is, this is very this is essential to the, to the prayers of Rosh Hashanah the other stuff is secondary this is essential so the um, three middle blessings each has a name and a theme the first blessing is called Malchuyot which means the kingship of heaven God's kingship and it ends with Baruch Hashem Mikadesh Yisrael Melech HaKar Aretz Mikadesh Yisrael V'yom HaZikaron the second blessing is called Zichronot, Remembrances, and that ends Baruch HaTashem Zocher HaBrit. And the third blessing, Shomer Kol Chuat Abo Yisrael Barachamim, is called Shofar, Shofarot. So those are the three blessings in the Musaf of Rosh Hashanah for a grand total of nine. It's actually very interesting that we have nine blessings on Rosh Hashanah, because logically, we, we accept the nine, but logically we shouldn't have nine. Logically we should have ten. Why should, we, why should we have ten? 
because the blessing on all the holy days, the blessings, by the way, have names in the Talmud. The Talmud gives them names. So the intermediate blessing on all the festivals is called the blessing of Kedushat Hayom, the blessing of the sanctity of the day, Mekadesh HaShabbat, God who sanctified the Sabbath. On the festivals, Mekadesh Yisrael Hazmanim, on Yom Kippur, Mekadesh Yisrael V'Yom HaKippurim, on Rosh Hashanah, Mekadesh Yisrael V'Yom HaZikaron, it's called Yom HaZikaron. So that's always a separate blessing. So logically, we should have ten blessings. We should have three in the beginning, three at the end is six. Malchiot Zichron Shofrot is nine. And what about the main blessing? The blessing of the sanctity of the day. So, so how come we only have nine? We should have ten. There is an opinion in, in the Tosefta that there are ten blessings, actually. But we don't follow that. We have only nine. Why do we have only nine? Because we combine the blessing of the day with another blessing. And actually, in, in the Talmud, it's a dispute with what blessing we combine the blessing of the day. Our practice, our machzer, is combining the blessing of the day with what we call malchuyot, <coughs> the kingship. And the blessing of Baruch Atah Hashem Melech Al Aretz, God is king of the whole wor- world, Mikadesh Yisrael Yom Zikaron, who also sanctified Israel in the day of remembrance, which is Rosh Hashanah. So we are combining the two, two themes. We usually don't combine two themes in one blessing. But on Rosh Hashanah, we combine the blessing of kingship with the blessing of the sanctity of the day, from which we may infer one simple point about Rosh Hashanah, which is very important. And that is that the basic idea of Rosh Hashanah is that God is king. Now, we'll, we'll try to figure out what that means. It means many things. But what's interesting about the prayers of Rosh Hashanah is, first of all, that it has unique structure, unique set of blessings. And equally interesting is not so much what we do say on Rosh Hashanah, but what we don't say on Rosh Hashanah. Mm-hmm. What we don't say on Rosh Hashanah, what we would expect to say on Rosh Hashanah, are things that refer to uh, repentance. Because after all, Rosh Hashanah, upon, apart from Rosh Hashanah, is called the first of the ten days of, of repentance. Aseret Yimei Tshuva. Now, during the period of Aseret Yimei Tshuva, and even before that, and the Svardim started even from Rosh Chodesh Elo, they already started, that every morning they say Slichot, special penitential prayers. They, start, they started already. And their, their prayers are much longer than the Ashkenazim, too. They go on for a long time. So, and the day before Rosh Hashanah, Erev Rosh Hashanah, the Ashkenazim say Slichot forever in a day. It's the longest, so, over and over, so long, you know. And the day after Rosh Hashanah are the second longest Slichot that we have, Tzom Gedalia. Those are the two longest penitential services that we have. It's Erev Rosh Hashanah and the day following Rosh Hashanah. How about Rosh Hashanah itself? How many Slichot do we say on Rosh Hashanah? We start before we start Motzei Shabbat before Rosh Hashanah. We say a lot before day before Rosh Hashanah. We say a lot day after Rosh Hashanah. Yom Kippur, of course, is slichot. Rosh Hashanah, there's no slichot. Zero. There's no slichot on Rosh Hashanah, and not only there's no slichot on Rosh Hashanah. Equally surprising is there are no confessions on Rosh Hashanah. There's no vidui. On Yom Kippur, the key to Yom Kippur is is penitential prayers and uh, confession. Those are two of the main pillars of the Yom Kippur service. On Rosh Hashanah, it's conspicuously absent, which we, from which we can infer only one thing, which is that the primary theme of Rosh Hashanah is not repentance. That's not the theme of Rosh Hashanah. The theme of Rosh Hashanah is God's kingship. Now, that's not to say that repentance doesn't factor in, but it factors in in a different way that we'll come to. So that's, first of all, what is unique about Rosh Hashanah. Second thing that's unique about Rosh Hashanah, and there are many things, 
But the second thing that is unique about Rosh Hashanah, the first pillar of Rosh Hashanah is the three themes of Malchiot, Zichronot, and Shofarot, which we recite only in the Musaf service. Rosh Hashanah is different in another sense. All the other prayers of Rosh Hashanah, the night prayer, Mincha, Shachrit, only has seven blessings. It's the only day we have, which has nine blessings, but it's equally interesting that all the other prayers of Rosh Hashanah, there are only seven blessings. So only the nine is only in Musaf. The other Shachrit, there are only seven blessings. There's no Malchiot, Zichronot, and Shofrot. There's a blessing about the day which mentions that God is king. That's it. So it's interesting in that sense. And the other piece of Rosh Hashanah, obviously, central piece of Rosh Hashanah, is that on Rosh Hashanah there's a mitzvah that we perform to blow the shofar. The sounding of the shofar on Rosh Hashanah is very interesting. And even more interesting than that, I mean, it's all pretty interesting, actually, but even more interesting than that is where we blow the shofar. The Mishnah in Rosh Hashanah talks about the blowing of the shofar and the blessings of the, on the shofar. What does it mean, the blessings on the shofar? In the Mishnah. I'm not talking about the Gemara, I'm not talking about our practice. The Mishnah, which is, of course, much prior to the Gemara, and reflects the authentic tradition, the Mishnah does not know of a blessing that's made on blowing the shofar. Baruch HaTah Hashem, Elokeinam the Mishnah doesn't know that blessing exists. Maybe it doesn't exist, actually. And then when the Mishnah talks about saying blessings on the shofar, they're not talking about a blessing on the shofar. They're talking about something very different. They're talking about the blessings on this, on the, in, the, in the service. Malchiot, Zichronot, and Shofrot. The blessings on the shofar in the Mishnah are the blessings of the of the of the of the Shemona Esrei that we say the, the blessings of Malchiot, Zichronot, and Shofrot. In each of those three sections in the Mishnah, in the Davening, you blow the shofar. The shofar is sounded in the middle of the Shemona Esrei. The Mishnah doesn't know from sounding the shofar as we do before Musaf. It doesn't know from this at all. It doesn't exist for the Mishnah. The, there's no such thing. The shofar is only sounded inside the Amida. Now, there are, two, there are two customs about sounding the shofar inside the Amida. One is that it's only sounded on the repetition of the, of the, of the Amida. When the Chazan repeats the, 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 the Musaf, then we blow the shofar. That's one tradition. There's another tradition that the shofar is not only sounded when the Chazan repeats the Shavona Esrei, but it's also sounded in the middle of the silent Shavona Esrei. That's a custom. And that is that when everybody's praying silently, when you get to the end of the first blessing, you stop and wait, and the shofar is sounded, and then you go to the next blessing. That's what we did at Risha for many years, and many places do that. And in Israel, many, many places do that. Uh, here they don't do it so much in the States, just because I think that the rabbis are afraid <coughs> that people will get confused, and you're going to wait, not wait, and start. But basically, that's a, there were two valid customs, and they're ancient customs. But in any event, both customs have one common denominator, the shofar is sounded inside the Shemona Esrei. And that's very interesting. Why would you sound the shofar inside the Shemona Esrei? You, you, right? It's shofar is a mitzvah. You should sound the shofar as we do before Shemona Esrei or some other time. Yeah? So the Mishnah does not discuss sounding the shofar before the Shemona Right. The Mishnah doesn't know from it. It probably didn't exist. It. probably didn't exist. Right. Right. Okay. So the question is, why do we do that? Our practice is universal practice 
is to sound the shofar after we read the Torah. Before, before we start Musaf. We sound the sh- and they, we sound it again inside the Shemona Esrei. We even sound it after the Shemona Esrei. I'll, I'll get to the different, and we'll get to that today, but the different customs of, of, of how, how many sounds you make, etc. Maybe we'll touch upon it, who knows. But anyway, so the reason given by pre-universal reason, it had to do with people that, were, that, that, that could not stay in shul. They would come to the synagogue, and they would, maybe they were sick, or whatever it was, and they couldn't stay. So in order to allow these people to hear the shofar, they would sound the shofar before Musaf. It has the effect, however, it's very, when you do that, and you sound the, what's called the 30, the 30 sounds, the shoshim kolot, which are the, as the Talmud understands, the requirement to hear the sounds of the shofar, um, in a certain sense, it actually undercuts what you do later on. Because you already heard the shofar. And the shofar is like a big highlight in combination with the Shavana Esrei. But now you already have fulfilled the mitzvah of sounding the shofar beforehand. That, that is the universal practice. That was not the earliest practice. And it's for this reason, by the way, because we have no record in the Talmud of this. The Talmud doesn't mention this at all. About sounding the shofar, at least not explicitly. Therefore, there's actually a, 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 a medieval dispute about what the blessing on the shofar is. Our practice is to make a blessing who commanded us to hear the shofar. That's the universal practice. Rabbeinu Tam, hardly a slouch, he had a, he had a different blessing who has commanded us to sound the shofar. Because the truth is, it never says. The blessing doesn't exist. So the medievals are trying to figure this out. Since it's a mitzvah, it must be a blessing. What is the blessing? What is the text? And they dis- disagree about the text. In any event... But what's interesting is that, from the fact that, at least initially, primarily, the shofar is sounded inside the, inside the Amida, inside the Shavona Esrei, what that suggests strongly is that the Mishnah sees the shofar and prayer as being connected. There's some relationship between what we say on Rosh Hashanah, our prayers, and on the sounding of the shofar. Somehow it's connected. One might even say it's a kind of prayer. Or maybe it's a prayer which requires interpretation. Maybe the text of the Amida is a kind of interpretation of what the shofar means. But in any event, so these are the two pillars of the Rosh Hashanah service. The two pillars of the Rosh Hashanah service are Malchiot, Zichronot, and Shofrot. That's number one. And shofar, which is part of the service. It's actually part of, it's, it's part of the davening, the shofar. It's not, not to be construed as a separate mitzvah but it's construed as a separate mitzvah, which is integral to, to the service. So this is the structure of the Rosh Hashanah service, which is, which is unique. So I thought that this morning we could look at some other elements of Rosh Hashanah service that are special. And actually I had a new thought about Rosh Hashanah uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I think it's very interesting. I haven't worked it out fully, but I'm happy to share it. Um, the... Let me just get to some other features of Rosh Hashanah service that are very interesting. Uh, first of all, so the, in order to appreciate the Rosh Hashanah service, we have to appreciate the sort of standard service, because it deviates from the standard service. But what is the standard service? So the standard service, the main components of the, every single uh, prayer service that we have, let's say the morning service, is that in the morning and the evening, we are saying the Shema, and the attendant blessings. There's three blessings in the morning surrounding the Shema and the four at night. And then we have some kind of a silent prayer called the Amido, the Shemona Esrei, etc. 
and that is the standard, those are the basic components of our, of our liturgy. They are preceded in the morning, and even in Mincha, by the recitation of a psalm or many psalms, so that's a sort of a warm-up to get us in the, in the framework, Sukkot Zimra, but fundamentally it's Shema on one hand and the Amidah on the other. And these blessings are well attested to, and the core ideas of them are found already in the, in the, uh, in, in the Talmud. What's interesting is that over the course of centuries, there was a debate, big debate, about whether it is a good thing, not such a good thing, or a forbidden thing, to add things into the service. Poems, all kinds of poems, liturgies, stuff like Is that a, to what extent is this is it, don't add, don't say more? And to what extent... Uh, the tradition says that no, this is the core structure of the service, but we encourage uh, the poets and the songwriters or whatever to include other kinds of poems, liturgy, embellishments, enhancements of the service. This is a big dispute. So, in the land of Israel, a couple of thousand years ago, 1500 years ago, there were a group of people called Paitanim, and they wrote a lot of poems. Some of them are very difficult to understand. And they wrote them for all kinds of occasions. For all the holidays, they wrote them for Shabbat, they wrote them for Tisha B'Av. Uh, the most famous of them is a man named Eliezer Kalir, but there are others as well. And the medievals, many medievals followed in their, in their footsteps. The Ashkenazim adopted Kalir, who lived in the land of Israel, as the poet laureate. The Sephardim have their own poets. They don't read Kalir. Some don't even like Kalia, they have the great poets are all Sephardic, basically. Ibn Gabiro, what? How do you translate is someone who's writing, as poet, but it means someone who's writing prayers, someone who writes these extra prayers, poems. Paitanim. Paitanim is the plural of Paitan. A piyut, a piyutim are additional prayers, supplementary prayers. And some of them are quite prolific. So the Sephardim, they don't rely upon Kalir. They have uh, Yudha Levi, Ibn Gabiro, the Ibn Ezra's, Moshe Ibn Ezra, Avram Ibn Ezra, the great poets, I mean, and others. Those are medievals. Kalir is much earlier. And Kalir is part of a group that lives in the land of Israel. The Ashkenazim have adopted Kalir as, as our poet laureate, as it were. And now the question is, do we say Kalir's poems in this service or not? So there's a big fight about that. On Tisha B'Av, for example, if you go to a traditional Tisha B'Av service, if you go to the Yekis, they're the very most traditional. They say everything. So, on Tisha B'Av, they say all of the, they have 66 piyutim. They say them all. I'll guarantee you, first of virtually nobody, I'm saying virtually nobody to be kind, I would say nobody, understands what they're saying. It's impossible to understand. You've got to study it. They have to be, to be studied. The first 20 by Eliezer Kalia, they're unbelievably complex and difficult. And that's and he also wrote for the Shimon Esri itself. In the middle of each blessing, he wrote a, 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 an additional poem. He also wrote for the, all the Shab- Shabbatot and the festivals, etc., etc. <coughs> what about saying these piyutim in the middle of our service? Here's a big fight. So the, so the uh, Misnagdim, the Vilna Gaon, opposed it. He, he totally opposed it. And the Hasidim liked it. The Hasidim liked the additional. So some Hasidim on certain special days, do say additional poems. But what's interesting is that on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the Ashkenazim do have piyutim. 
we do say piyutim Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. And I would say all the traditional synagogues say piyutim Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Some say more and some say less. They're selections. The uh, German Jews, the Yekis, they say a ton. They say everything. But uh, that's something like, it's hard to imagine Yom Kippur or Rosh Hashanah without saying uh, Nisan HaTokif. Mm-hmm. Nisan HaTokif is not, in the Svarim don't say it. It's not part of the davening. It's a poem added in. Uh, and there are other poems such, uh, as well. Nisan HaTokif is, is a medieval composition. But uh, Kalir is many of the Piyutim. So it's interesting that on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we are adding piyutim. Now the question is, where do we add them? Where is the place the piyutim are added? So it's interesting to take note of this. And that is, these are supplements, additions. They are added primarily in two places. The number one place that we add the piyutim is in the third blessing of the, uh, of the Shvon Esrei. The third blessing of the Shvon Esrei, which is Atok Kadosh Veshibcha Kadosh, that's the Nusach Ashkenaz. Baruch Atah Hashem, and during the Yitzhael HaKadosh, and on Rosh Hashanah, ten days of Tshuva, HaMelech HaKadosh. That third blessing is called Kedushat Hashem, the sanctity of God's name. And in that third blessing, it's a very short blessing, almost all of the piyutim are to be found. All of them, with, with rare exceptions, are found there. Now what's interesting is that what's also found every day in the third blessing of the Shemona Esrei is what we call Kedusha. So we, we are reciting Kedusha inside the third blessing, right? Mechayim Eitim is the second blessing, Nechadesha Shibcha Ba'olam. We say Kedusha, which is a responsive recitation of three verses, essentially, two plus one. Then it ends, Baruch Hashem El HaKadosh. So inside the third blessing, we say Kedusha. What is Kedusha? So Kedusha is a description of the angels praising God. We, 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 we cite what the angels say about God, and we are uh, either joining with the angels, according to one version, or we are imitating the angels, according to another version. Just as, just as they do, we do. But we're joining, there's a kind of a heavenly chorus, and there's the earthly chorus, and we are joining together. That is the Kedusha, and the Kedusha is found in the third blessing of the, uh, of the, of, of the Shemona Esri. So on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, inside that blessing, we add many poems. And what's interesting is that a lot of the poems, if you, there are collections of these poems, of many poems, many, many, many of the poems are about the, the angels praising God on one hand and the human beings praising God on the other. Let's say, for example, many of them are. Some are quite beautiful, actually. Let's see if we can find an example over here. Let's see. Example, example, example. Yeah, I mean, just even on page 420, just for example. But there are loads of examples. It's mostly about that. For example, page 421 in this translation, 420. It's read responsibly. His Shmo, God's name, 
mefarim is 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 glorified adat chevlo by God's rightful congregation by Israel, and the next line is v'naaratz bi'erale kodesh hilulo and revered in song by the angels. This is a common theme. This is one of the primary themes that plays off the kedusha. So the, there's a joining together of what happens in heaven is also happening on earth. And by the way, it's very interesting that probably the most famous Ashkenazic period that we have is uh, Nisana Tokif. Nisana Tokif, of course, is recited just before Kedusha. It leads into Kedusha, Nisana Tokif. Uh, what is the theme of Nisana Tokif, actually? So the theme of Nisana Tokif is about, it's about God's judgment. Who by fire? This is Leonard Cohen, right? It's basically based on that. And what's interesting is in that Nisana Toka, which is very powerful, um, it, ends, it ends actually very beautifully. etc. God's forgiveness, God waits for us to repent. But in the body of Nisana Tokev, right? Uh, how's it go? Was it? Now, one second. Right? The great shofar is sounded, a still voice is heard. The angels are scurrying about. And they're gripped by fear. Behold, the day of judgment has come. Right? God is judging the heavenly host. Even they are not blame are not blameless in, in, in judgment. So it talks about the power of Sinai Tokim is, is, is right before Kedusha. Kedusha is the song of the angels and the heavenly saw. But the Sinai Tokiv, he takes this idea to a different place, which is the day of Rosh Hashanah is the day of judgment. Who is being judged on Rosh Hashanah? <coughs> not just the earthly host is being judged, even the heavenly host. And they also are, are, they're also guilty. Everybody's guilty. So the angels are frightened. It's, a, it's a taking the, the, the Kedusha theme and transposing it to the idea of judgment. Even they, they're not. And then on earth, and the earthly passed by God. God counts each one. The counting, which is it's a very powerful idea. And then it, it goes on, and the day of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, day of judgment, it's sealed on Yom Kippur, etc. So this is the theme, and this is the, the, the piyutim, so on Rosh, on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, we are saying many, 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 many piyutim. Maybe for this reason, I, maybe there are other reasons too, but maybe for this reason, there's something else that's very interesting, there's another feature of the Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur service that's very striking. And that is, that on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the Chazan is asking permission to pray. We don't usually have that, that the Chazan asks permission. But on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the Chazan is asking permission, and it's very interesting of where... Or the congregation? He's asking permission of... That's a very good question, actually. He stands before God and says, I am not worthy. He's asking in a sense, I would say, he's also, I think, representing the... He feels unworthy to represent the, 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 the community. He's talking in prayer to God. And what's interesting is, 
where, where and when he asks permission. So let's say, it, 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 let's say in the morning service of Rosh Hashanah, there is what's called, it's called, the word, it's, it's called a, uh, a, a uh, reshut, permission. So where does the Chazan ask permission on uh, the first day of Rosh Hashanah in, in Shacharit? This box was on page 401. The ark is opened. It actually starts on 399. Misod chachamim unavonim. So there he's asking permission from the congregation, I would say. Right? Drawing from the council of wise and knowing men, they translate here, the teachings born of insight among those who understand, I open my mouth in prayer and pleading to implore to plead before the king, king of kings and lord of lords. Misod chachamim unavonim is what we call a, uh, a uh, reshus. And it continues, it's inside the first blessing of the, of the Shemot Asrei. That's what he's asking. He's starting to, because Tefillah is the Shemot Up to then, he's not really leading the congregation. But with the first blessing, with, with the repetition of the Shemot Asrei, the Chazan leads the congregation. So then the Chazan asks permission on top of 401, and the reshus has a, has a nusach. It's very important to understand that the the, the tefillah has a nusach that is becoming a, a uh, forgotten art nowadays with all the songs, which I like the songs, but the songs, the nusach is very important. So the, the rishus, right? It goes, it goes, That's the nusach of the rishus. That's the rishus. That's the whole Yoresi Mitzosi Siech Ashkil on page 401 is a poem. Who wrote it, I don't know, but uh, could be Khalil, could be somebody else. But interesting, if you look at the, at the poem on page 401, you notice right away that every word ends with, every word ends with Chet Yudlamid, which is Chil. Chil means fear. So the idea of, that's, that's the Rishos that we say in Shachras. It says Yakutiel ben Moshe. Yakutiel ben Moshe. It doesn't sound like Kalir. Inspired by Kalir? 11th century. Yeah, it's early, but it's not. It's much later than Kalir. It doesn't sound like Kalir, actually. It's, it's too simple for Kalir. But, but uh, in any event, um, <laughs> what about in Musaf? When does the Chazan ask permission to pray in Musaf? <laughs> so there's Hidden Yoni Mimas, which is a big Chazanisha piece and everything. It's big, very beautiful. That is a much later custom. That's not actually part of this. That's not part of the classical service. That's before the Chazan gets up to pray. The Chazan is Hinnani, which is the Chazanim love that piece. It's very beautiful. That's not actually part of the, of the davening. That's an addition. Nice addition. We like it. Whatever. So, but the Chazan asks permission inside, inside the Amida. Now, where does the Chazan ask permission inside the Amida? Actually, the Chazan, it's very strange that we have the Chazan ask permission twice in the Amida. People said to me many times, including my wife, why do we say both of these? Let's say one. Why do we need two of them for? Yes, he, but, but the truth is that the difference between them, I'll show you. First of all, where does the Chazan ask permission to pray in Musaf? My friends, let me tell you something. This stuff is so basic, you know what I mean? Forget all the other stuff. They gotta, it, 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 if you understand the structure, it helps a lot with the davening. We haven't gotten even some of the main themes. But where, where, where does the Chazan ask permission in Musaf to, to pray? It's the strangest thing, actually. Where would you expect the Chazan to ask permission to pray? In the first blessing, presumably, right? Right. But the Chazan doesn't ask permission in the first blessing. 
The Chazan asked in the middle of the Musaf, Ochilo Rakel. So let's find out what page is that? Ochilo Rakel is Musaf. Musaf, Musaf, where are you? Let's see. It's on page, it's in the repetition, where is it? On page, oh, where is it? Let's see. Yes, I have it. In this box, on page 601. Ochilo Rakel. Ochilo Rakel. Now, Notice that Ochigo Rakeo is chanted the same way, right? Ochigo Rakeo, Achalefonov. Is it the same chil for fear? I think so. I think it plays off the word chil. First one is even emphasizing. Yorei si, Mr. Chakras. If so, si, si achlash chil. Right? Ochigo Rakeo. Now, what's interesting is. The Chazan has asked permission to pray. This is after the Sana Tokov, after Kedusha. The guy's been davening for an hour and a half already. Now he's asking permission? Well, what is this? Very Jewish. Right. So now, what's also very striking is, very striking, but Ochil Lokeo, if you look at it, is the text. Because the last, the, 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 the last two lines of Ochil Lokeo, the next to last line is, Hashem Svotai Tiftachu Fiagiti Lotecha, which we are saying before we daven Shemona Esrei, and the next line, is what we say at the end of the Shemot Esrei. It's very strange. He said, Hashem God opened my mouth to pray, but he's already been praying for quite a long time. Now, the second thing that's very interesting is that... Oh, so what's the answer to that? I'll, I'll get to it. <laughs> the answer is, wait, wait, wait two minutes, we'll see. My answer, it's my answer, I don't know if it's been. I mean, to more this time. I, w- I want to point out something else. There's another resource before that. Misodi says at the very beginning. Misodi has it at the beginning. That is true. That Misodi has it at the beginning. But it still doesn't explain why he has it again here. Correct. And the second thing is that in just a couple of pages earlier, is a straight up request on the bottom of 397 God, stand by the mouths of the emissaries of your nation. The Chazan refers to the Chazan here. He's talking about himself, right? 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 I stand before to entreat you on behalf of the house of Israel. Horei Mashi Omeru. Instruct them what to say. He's talking about himself. Havidei Mashi Yedabeiru, etc., etc. Right? And he goes on. He goes on. This three ni- three ni- 590, 597, and this is 598, 599. It's a long prayer, Right? Please, they shouldn't stumble in their prayer. Now, it's not typically chanted with the same Rashut chant, actually. It's, it, the, the Nusach is different. It's not chanted with a... It's a very nice Nusach. I have a very nice Nusach for it. But it's, but it's not the Nusach of Ochiwa. Goes on, right? Is that because it was in addition? Right, it is clearly not the core Rishus. And I believe, so the question is why we say both. Now, why we say both, I mean, the truth of the matter is, what happens is when people write stuff and put it in the sitter, it's always added. Nothing's ever taken out. That's the problem. It's always added in, you know? So one, one answer could be that. That's just the way things work. People liked it, and they wanted to keep saying it. Why say? But the truth of the matter is, I think when you look at the two texts, that what struck me, they're not exactly the same. 
because the second text, Ochil Lakeo, is simply saying, I'm about to pray, help me, help me pray. The first one, the longer one, says that as well, but it talks at the end of, it says, please let me say, not say something that's not right. We have oh, we have mirucha mecha, and if you have mirucha mecha, you have chanun v'rachum, and that strikes me as something is different. That the the shofar on Rosh Hashanah has two different aspects to it. The shofar on Rosh Hashanah is 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 the vehicle, the vessel that actually enthrones God. It's God's kingship. It's like when you have a go to a coronation. They have you know certain. A, 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 coronet or a trumpet you'd have at the coronation, right? So that's part of the that's part of the idea of Rosh Hashanah. And the second idea the second idea is that the shofar is a kind of prayer. It's a prayer without words. We are we are we are we are praying to God. Maybe we haven't thought out what to say yet, but there's a kind of cry. The shofar is a cry. So the first long one which talks about God being being compassionate and merciful, that strikes me as a very good introduction if you think what's following is a kind of prayer, we are asking for God's mercies. The Ochil Rokel, which is the primary one, is not speaking about God's mercies. It's just saying, I'm, I'm here to pray. Help, help me pray. I should I, I should open my mouth. I'll be able to say the words properly, to have the right intention, etc., etc. Maybe that's the... And in any event, so why is it in the middle of the Shemona Esrei? That's the quote. Why is it here? So I saw once in the name of the Ritzvah, it's a very important uh, commentary of the medieval commentary on the Talmud, he makes the following suggestion, which I thought was very interesting. We all know that on Rosh Hashanah, on all the other prayers of Rosh Hashanah, there are seven blessings. Seven. All of them. The only time that we are adding three blessings is in the Musaf service when we blow the shofar. So he suggested, either he or someone in his name suggested, that maybe, actually, this is the main piece of where the Chazin is actually doing something special. Especially if you assume that the shofar was not sounded privately and only sounded publicly, its ochigo lakeo appears in the service just before the paragraph alkein nekavulcha Hashem alokeinu. Alkein nekavulcha Hashem alokeinu is the second when we when we say oleinu three times a day. The second paragraph of oleinu begins alkein nekavulcha Hashem alokeinu. If you look at the sitter, you'll see it's very interesting. The machzer. That after Ochilo Lakeo, its next next words is Alkein Nekavu Lecha Hashem Lokeinu. Alkein Nekavu Lecha Hashem Lokeinu begins what we call Malchiot. So the Ochilo Lakeo is recited. Yes, it's in the middle of the Shvana Esrei, but specifically, it's recited before the Malchiot, which 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 by the way suggests something very interesting that Oleinu Lishabeach is not actually part of Malchiot. Oleinu Lishabeach is actually the introduction to Malchiot. But Malchiot begins with Alkein Nekavulcha Hashem Elokeinu. And why is that I- interesting, actually? Why is that important? Because Alkein Elokeinu says, it's my obligation to accept God. Alkein Nekavulcha, we hope, we aspire, we pray that the world should accept God. So the main theme of Malchiot on Rosh Hashanah is that the world should accept God. The only thing is, you know, we're very good usually telling the next guy, what he or she is supposed to do. We're very good at that. We often are less good at, at what we're supposed to do. So, so on Rosh Hashanah, we say, before we tell the world to accept God, 
Oleinu l'shabeach. Because that's preliminary. You can't, you can't speak of the world unless you talk first about yourself. Okay, that's true. But the idea of Malchiot, that someday God will reign, Melch HaKol Aretz and all that, Hashemim Lochi Yolam Va'ed, that is uh, where Malchiot begins. And you see this by virtue of the fact that the Chazan says, Ochiyo Lakeo after Oleinu, before Alkein Nekavalecha. So you see that actually the Malchiot begins. By the way, on Yom Kippur, we also say Ochiyo Lakeo in the middle of the Shemona Esrei. And what is coming on Yom Kippur after Ochiyo Lakeo? Do you know? On Rosh Hashanah, it's Malchiot in Zichronot and Shofrot. How about Yom Kippur? What is... So Suri is... Uh, Suri is cheating because she has the Machta for Yom Kippur. So, okay. I'll tell you what it is, though. It's Avodas Yom HaKippurim. Ochil Akel in the middle of the service. Right afterwards, we begin the Avoda. The Avoda is this, only said together, publicly, with the congregation. And that's an essential part of the Yom Kippur service. O- only in Musaf. We don't say the Avodah in here. So the service of the high priest, the reenactment of the service of the high priest, that's the parallel. Okay. So that's in terms of the structure. It's very interesting. That's, now there's something else about Rosh Hashanah that's very special. Very, very special, Rosh Hashanah. And that is that... How much time? What time? What time is it it's now? A, it's a, It's almost ten to ten to eleven, and you have to eleven thirty. See, forty minutes. Forty-three minutes. Forty minutes. Okay, good. Okay, now here's the point. Now we get to the main, main, to the main point. Now, right? Exactly. Now we get to the main thing. So Malchiot, Zichronot, and Shofrot. Malchiot, Zichronot, and Shofrot are recited in the fourth, in the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth blessings of the Shemona Esrei. The piyutim are found essentially in the third blessing of the Shem- almost all of them, with one exception, in the third ble- one or two exceptions in the third blessing, and the malchiot zichronot and shofrot is four, five, and six. Now malchiot zichronot and shofrot have a particular structure. The fact of the matter is, there's a great dispute in the Talmud about malchiot zichronot and shofrot. The practice of the Jewish people has been to follow the opinion of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva said the following. He said that in Malchiot and Zichronot and Shofrot, we are reciting verses from the Bible. It consists primarily of, of verses from the Bible. And Rabbi Akiva said, and this is what you got to say, there's a minimum of ten verses in each. The first three verses are from the Torah. The second three verses are from what's called the sacred writings, the Ketuvim. We, we choose from the Psalms. All of them are from the Psalms, which is part of Ketuvim. And the, last, the next three verses, 7, 8, 9, are from the prophetic writings. And the tenth verse is from the Torah. And we are, we are following that structure. Three from the Torah, three from Ketuvim, three from Nevi'im. It's actually, when you think about it, just parenthetically, it's very strange in a way, because we speak always about Tanakh, Here's a Tanakh right here. It says T-A-N-A-K-H. Tanakh. J-P-S. Tanakh is Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim. But in the davening of Rosh Hashanah, it's Torah, Ketuvim, Nevi'im. Now why is that so? Why is it Torah, Ketuvim, Nevi'im and not Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim? And then the tenth verse is from the Torah. So why is it 3, 3, 3, and 1? Why isn't it 4, 3, and 3? Mm-hmm. 4 from the Torah, then 3 and 3. We don't do that. We have three from the Torah, three from Ketuvim, three from Nevi'im, and then the tenth verse is from the Torah. So first of all, as far as why, I, why, who knows, but I suggest, as to what the 
import is of the Torah Ketuvim, Nevi'im, I would say we want to end with the Nevi'im. Because the verses from the Nevi'im are verses about the future. There's a kind of aspiration that the world in the future will be different. So we want to end with, with Nevi'im. So therefore we proceed the Nevi'im with the, with, the, with, the, with the Ketuvim. That's number one. Number two, in terms of three, 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 and one, instead of four, three, and three, this is an important point about the structure of the Rosh Hashanah service. And that is, that each section, Malchiot, Sikhrot, and Shofrot, has two parts. The first part is kind of a statement, a statement of belief. That's how we see the statement, how we see the world. Those are the first, that's the main body. The tenth verse is connected to a, some kind of request. In each of the three sections, Malchiot, Zichrot, and Shofrot, it ends, and the blessing ends with some kind of request. In Malchiot, Melocha, Ko Olam, Kulo, Bichvodecha, reign over the whole world. In Zichrot, Zachrenu, Bezichron, Tov, Lifonecha, remember us for good. And in Shofrot, Tekabe, Shofar, Godol, sound the shofar of, of, of freedom, the shofar of redemption. And inside that, inside that request, we have the 10th verse. That's not exactly precise. It's true of Zichronot and it's true of Shofrot. It's not true of Malchiot. In Malchiot, the 10th verse is recited just before the request. What is the 10th verse for, for Malchiot, by the way? Shema Yisrael. Why is Shema Yisrael the 10th verse? What is strange about that? Finds another one that that's <laughs> right. That's right. All the verses have, have the word. All the verses of Malchiot have the word Melech. All the verses of Zichronot have the word Zecher. And all the words of Shofrot have the word Shofer. The problem is that they couldn't find a verse, in the, a suitable verse in the Torah, a fourth verse that has the word Melech. You can only find three. So for the fourth verse, we couldn't find Melech. So we, we say the Shema, because the Shema, the Mishnah says the mitzvah of the Shema is Kabbalat Omachut Shomayim, to accept the yoke of heaven. So since we can't find the fourth verse, we are reciting the Shema. We recite the Shema just before the request, probably for the reason I mentioned before, because we're talking about the whole world accepting God's kingship. But we want to preface that with our own responsibility, which is Shema. Hashem we Hashem our God is one, we accept our God. Then we can say, Melocha Kola Olam, Kula Bichvodecha, to reign over the whole world. So the, 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 the Rosh Hashanah, one of the unique features of Rosh Hashanah is it is composed of a set of biblical verses. To, to make the point even more strongly, um, make the point even stronger, on Yom Kippur, the parallel of Yom Kippur, the parallel of Yom Kippur uh, in the service is the Avodah, and the Avodah of Yom Kippur is actually based upon, and the earliest versions of the Avodah are pretty much a translation of the, um, the Mishnah in Tractate Yoma. It's not verses from the Torah. It's actually the Mishnah. So Yom Kippur, the core text in the Musaf is what we call Torah Shabal Peh. It's the Mishnah. It's the human, human creativity, human creation. And Rosh Hashanah, it's about biblical verses it's, it's, about God's, it's about God's word. And the reason for that, I think, and the significance is this. It's the difference between Rosh Hashanah and, and Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is actually a very easy day to understand, Yom Kippur. I'm not saying it's easy to, 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 live it, to, to experience it, but 
Yom Kippur is a very simple day. Yom Kippur is about human error and our decision to change our ways and to uh, make things better, to change one thing, make start with one thing or two things or whatever. It requires thinking about the last year and about, you know, making resolutions, etc., trying to follow up on them after Yom Kippur. Requires requests for forgiveness because the past is happened, did not happen. How do you, how do you, can we change the past, right? So that's what Yom Kippur is about. It's very simple. It's a very, it's a human-centered day. True, the repentance requires God's grace, that's for sure, but it's all about ourselves. But Rosh Hashanah is not about ourselves at all, actually. Rosh Hashanah, the theme of Rosh Hashanah, as reflected in our service, Mel HaKolaris, God is King of the World. It's something about God, actually. The, the focus on Rosh Hashanah is, is actually God, which is very foreign, to, I think, to most, if not all of us in this room. Without really thinking about God. I would say that, in general, and I'll take, for example, Rabbi Soloveitchik, who was a, I would say, kind of theologian, uh, kind of theologian, I'm not sure he's a theologian exactly, but there's virtually nothing in his writings about God. It's all human-centered. Every, everything he writes about is, is human-centered. It's a product of the 20th century. It's, the last person to write about God was by the Rambam or something. I mean, the Kabbalists write about God in a different way, but, but Rosh Hashanah is about God. Melch Aretz, it's all about God. right? It's all about God. So we are reluctant to talk about God. I, talk, I mentioned before about the, the view that we shouldn't add, shouldn't add poems to the service. Shouldn't add descriptions about God. There's a whole tradition not to add descriptions of God. Rosh Hashanah is about God. So the safest course to go on Rosh Hashanah is to choose God's own words. We're not going to make up our own words. We're citing biblical verses because that's the focus. So on Rosh Hashanah is the focus on, 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 on God and therefore God's word. On Yom Kippur, it's a focus on the human being. So it's a focus on, on the human word. In fact, on Yom Kippur, it's very interesting. How do we start Yom Kippur? How do we actually begin Yom Kippur? What? Kol Nidre, right? Yeah. What is what is Kol Nidre? Well, what is actually Kol Nidre about? I mean, it's not the topic here, but what, what is it about? It's a big deal. Kol Nidre is the most attended service of the Jewish people is, is actually Kol Nidre. Yeah, what's, what's, so what's the big deal? What? No, it's the, it is a formula of... It's Ataras Nadarim. It's a public ceremonial. It's that... It's a ceremonial annulment of vows that we made in the previous year. That is the majority opinion about what Konidre is about. It's a formula. It's actually a formula. Tataras Nidarim. Konidre Vesare, right? Tindana, right? Betelin Vutawin, Roshririn Vokayam, Nidranola Nidre. Nothing could be more dry than Konidre. It's basically a formula. I made vows, I mistake. I asked the court to annul the vow. This is how we start Yom Kippur, and it's a big deal. What is the big deal, actually? Well, what's, what, why is it so powerful? People talk about the Muranos. The Muranos took vows. Yeah, right. This is nonsense, actually. <laughs> I mean, nonsense from... No, they did take vows. That's true. But the Ashkenazim are not crying called Nidre because of the Muranos. What? <laughs> what? What is it actually about? We accept everybody... Who has gone astray? Oh, that is true. That's, that's, that's the introduction. We, we, we pray together as a community. Who's the Avrayanim? 
Gavrionim is us, actually. But okay, fine. Anyway, the point is, that's the point. None of, so what is the power of Kol Nidre? The power of Kol Nidre is this, basically, in my view. The Mishnah says, Hataras Nadarim. The Mishnah says explicitly, the Mishnah already takes note 2,000 years ago that when you read the Bible, there is no such thing as a Taurus Nadarim. When you take a vow in the Bible, you keep your vow. I don't care what it is. There's no way out of the vow. Came across, come along the rabbis and say that's not the case. We have the power to overturn a commitment made even in God's name. We can actually overturn it. We, we as people, we as human beings, with our limited knowledge, but we have this ability to, 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 to change the past, as it were, and to overturn even God's word, and maybe by extension, even to overturn God's, God's, God's decree. The, the, the court stands up. We are forgiving. The word v'nislach is a play on the word. It can mean two different things. V'nislach can mean it shall be forgiven. Over Nislach can mean we shall forgive. There's the idea that we have the ability to achieve forgiveness. That's the idea of Kol Nidri. He's starting Yom Kippur by saying a very powerful message. This is, a, this is an opportunity, Yom Kippur. Let's not waste the opportunity. We could actually, we could actually change course. We actually, it, we're not doomed to continue along the same path. That's the claim that's being made through Kol Nidri, and that's the power of Kol Nidri. Whatever we did in the past... There's a chance, there's an opportunity to, uh, to change course. We don't need someone else to, to, to atone for us. We can, we, can, we can atone for ourselves. We have the ability. That's a, a basically core Jewish idea. And that is, it, of course, that it's, it's very nuanced later on. And, and, is it, and how does that all work, etc.? How can you change the past? How can you undo what actually happened? That's a very good question. But in any event, that's, that's so, so we are starting Yom Kippur with... I would say the classical halacha in 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 in, in Torah Shabbat Peh. There's nothing more Torah Shabbat Peh than Atoras Nadarim. It directly contradicts the Bible. It's black and white, actually. And we start in Yom Kippur by saying, "I know, forget the Bible. It's up to us. God will go along with us." God says, "V'nislach, as you say," says God. You make the determination. But then it's a, the burden is upon us. If it's really our responsibility. It's not just, I have faith, I'll be forgiven. But you have to work in forgiveness. That's a very frightening thought. That's why we're crying on, on Kol Nidre. If we think about it, that's a frightening thought. We actually have the... If, if we have the ability, we have the responsibility. That's a very frightening thought. So Yom Kippur, and Yom Kippur is different. Yom Kippur is actually very easy to understand. But Rosh Hashanah is another story. Rosh Hashanah, God is king. So we have to reflect on what, that, what does that mean, that God is king. Before I get there... Sorry, yes, go ahead. So why do we also do a formal Hatarat Nadarim with three rabbis between right. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? If, right. So is this more like a symbolic? Yeah, I, I would say this is ceremonial. Yeah, I think right. it, it, so. entering into Yom Kippur is, is, is purely ceremonial. It's not actually Hatarat Nadarim. It's a ceremonial, but, it, but it's, it's making a statement as we start Yom Kippur. By the way, there's another custom to, and we start Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur has many customs, but there is a custom, an old custom, that when you start Yom Kippur, just before Kol Nidre, that you say Vidui. Now, there's a Vidui, Yom Kippur, there's confessions right and left, but, um, but that's not our topic here, but 
there is a custom to just before Kol Nidre, because we say Vidu already, in, in, we pray Mincha, and Erev Yom Kippur, in Mincha there's already Vidu in the Sarah Shemot Asrei, before the meal. But there's another custom, which is that just before you start Kol Nidre, you can see in many synagogues, the yeshivas they say, people say uh, confessions. And there are several interesting confessions that are said. There's one that the Sephardic confession that I say, and we say, Trisha, Luchai li Teshukati. One of the one one of the Banai sings that I think it's Ayod Banai. It's very nice. There's many tunes to it. It was written by the uh, Ibn Ezra. Actually, it's very beautiful. Luchai li Teshukati. It's to enter into Yom Kippur through through confession. There are many, many, many confessions. The Golim have the confessions, Ibn Ezra, Tfilo Zaka, there are many, many confessions. But, but so the entering into the day, before you start even Yom Kippur, you're already getting a certain frame of mind. It's about confession, it's about repentance, etc., etc. And it's about the possibility of, of changing. Okay, now let me get to something else about, which I thought was, I thought about just a couple of weeks ago. So it's not fully worked out. But, let me tell how I got to this. So this is Malchiot, Zichronot, and Shofrot. Okay. Now I mentioned that in the third blessing, Kedushat Hashem, which on Rosh Hashanah is HaMelech HaKadosh, we are adding in other things. Now, most of what we add in are added when the Chazan repeats the, repeats the Shemona Esrei. All of those chakras and then, right, the very beautiful poems, some are sung, some people sing some of them. And well, When I was growing up, we didn't sing anything. They, 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 they were all chanted. Chants are very good, by the way. Then afterwards, a lot of singing, and I'm going. I'm more headed. More, I'm heading back in my old age more to the chanting. Actually, I like the chanting very much. And they chant. These chants are a little different, actually. It's a lost art. It's a lost art completely. They don't know from the chants. But the point is, uh, singing, chanting, whatever it is, they are done primarily when you repeat the Shemona Esrei. But there's one thing that we say even in the silent Shemona Esrei in all the prayers of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and that is found just before the blessing of the third blessing. Let's look for example at Shacharit. Let's see, Shacharit. Let's see, in the silent Shemona Esrei, where is it? Let's say page, and this Machzer, it'd be on page 300 and... Okay, it starts 381. 384, is it? Yes, 384. That's how you start the third blessing. And you end it, But we are reciting something in all the prayers of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. We have a very, very, very beautiful poem that we recite. Page 385. It has several paragraphs. The first is about how God's fear, terror of, of God and fear of God, should take hold of the whole world. Right? The whole world should accept God. That's paragraph number one. Second paragraph, God, give honor to your people, to Israel, etc. That's the second paragraph. Then on the next page, 386, the righteous should rejoice, right? And you will remove the evil kingdoms from the, from, from, from the world. I say that blessing with a lot of kavana, by the way. 
And the um the, the fourth the fourth uh Vikhain Sadiki Biroviasmachu. Kitavi Memshelat Sodomin Aretz. The fourth one starts with Timrocha to Hashem Gvadecha, God you will reign alone. And it cites a verse from Psalms, Yimrocha Hashem Yolam or Hayek Tzion. And it ends with Kadosha Tov and Arashimecha. No other God but you, as it is written, it cites a verse. The Lord of hosts is raised up in, in justice and sanctified with righteousness. is a poem that we are reciting in all of the prayers of Rosh Hashanah. And all of the prayers of Yom Kippur, and I believe in some Edot HaMizrach, they even recite it during a Seventh Day Shuva. But we say it at least we we don't. But we say it on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So what is this prayer? And it's recited even in the Sirech Shmona It's an addition that everybody says. I mean, all traditional services in the Sirech Shmona Esrei. Had a thought about this many years ago, and then afterwards I saw, <coughs> strangely enough, that both El Bogan, who writes about the history of prayer, and Rabbi Salavashik, one of one of his relatives, who said pretty much, oh, this was a similar thought, actually. That was many years ago. I have a different thought now. What I suggested many years ago was that See, I'll tell you what struck me is very interesting. In this little section over here, it quotes two verses. The first verse that it quotes on page 387, as it is written, as it is written in your sacred writings, that's taken from the Psalms, from Sukkot Zimra. That's a verse from, from Psalms, from Ketuvim. And the blessing ends, as it is written, that God is raised up through righteousness and, and through justice, that's a verse from Isaiah. Isaiah is the prophet. So what struck me interesting is you have Ketuvim and then Nevi'im. And then I began to think about this, and I recognized that there's something very, very odd about this particular poem. And that is that the first three, the five paragraphs, the first three paragraphs all begin the same way. With the word uvechain. uvechain. What does uvechain mean? What does uvechain mean? Therefore. So, therefore, yeah, therefore, right. Uh, so this translation, wh- which one is this? I don't know, is this, is this Corin? Sachs? I don't know what this is. Corin, I don't know. Corin. The white wood is Corin. Corin. They fudge it. No, but translation by Sachs, Jonathan Sachs. He translates, and so... And so. Maybe and so means therefore. But what does it mean, and so? Therefore follows something else. Uh, X, therefore Y. <laughs> right, right. What is the X? There's nothing. <laughs> what, and what struck what me, what, what is before Uvechain? Now, what struck me was this. What struck me was the following. As I said many years ago, it's not the, it's not the Kiddush I have it. But what struck me many years ago is that this section has two explicit verses. Ketuvim and then Nevi'im. What struck me was that what's missing is the verse from the Torah and for the following reason. I mentioned before, we follow the view of Rabbi Akiva. 
Rabbi Akiva said, you say, Malchiot, Zichrot, and Shofrot, in blessing 4, 5, and 6, and 10 verses. Three from the Torah, three from the writings, three from the prophets, ten from the Torah. <coughs> but there's another view in the Talmud. Yochanan Ben-Nuri. Yochanan Ben-Nuri holds <coughs> that you say only three verses. And you don't say the Malchiot in the fourth blessing. You say the Malchiot in the third blessing, in this blessing. So it struck me that this, what we have, corresponds to Yochanan Ben-Nuri. Except, <coughs> we're missing the first verse from the Torah. We have verse 2 and verse 3. So it struck me that it follows... So then I saw afterwards, Elbow would suggest this, and Rabbi Salavetsky quoted some relative of his who suggested this. So what is Uvechem? So I said, why is the verse missing? This is like 20-some-odd years ago. There was a fellow, who was one of my charuses, a very brilliant fellow, actually, and he had the following suggestion as to why it's missing. He said, I think probably there was a verse before. Something like, or, or he suggested, Hashem That's a verse from the Torah. Hashem I'm, I'm sure this is right, by the way, but for reasons he didn't say. But Hashem So why is it missing? Why did they take it out? So he made the following suggestion, which was very clever. He says, "Look," he says, "If you included Hashem right? And this is the Malchut Yochanan Ben Nuri, but we don't follow Yochanan Ben Nuri. We included it because it's so beautiful." But we follow Rabbi Akiva. The problem is that if you write Hashem Yimlochi Yolam Va'ed beforehand, you're going to repeat it later on. Because we only have three verses in the Torah that have the word Melech. One of them is Hashem Yimlochi Yolam Va'ed, the first one, right? So we don't want to undercut Rabbi Akiva. So therefore they eliminated Hashem Yimlochi Yolam Va'ed, but they kept Uvachain. Therefore, that's fine. Anyway, could be that's the case, but I, had a, I was thinking about this for other reasons, and I'll tell you what my thinking is about Uvechein. My thinking is this. I think it's true that actually Uvechein, therefore, it's got to be referred to something that comes before. Why doesn't it refer to a kakadosh? That looks obvious. It's like the headline, a kakadosh, bishim kakadosh, kibishim b'chol yom therefore, 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 therefore. Right, but the point is, right, the point is that, number one, does it actually follow logically from Ato Kadosh that Tain Pachtecha Akol Ba'asecha Eimotcha Akol Ba'ashebarata? Holiness is a pretty broad. Well, it is broad, it right? Take much out of that. True, that is true. But the point about Uvechein, though, is that if it is Yochanan Ben Nuri's Malchiot, um, you do need a verse. He said, "There's one verse from the Torah, one from Ketuvim, one from Nevi'im." Now we do have that so actually. So you're trying to justify it. The, you're trying to understand that in view of this. That's right. You don't need, necessarily need that to uh, right. to come to a conclusion. It could be so. Let me put it this way. But if the maybe what you're saying is right. Number one, I I do think that yes, I'm, I'm trying to justify it in terms of the structure of Yochanan Benuri, but the truth of the matter is, I have a better terrorist, You know what I mean? Oh, okay. <laughs> that's, that's the truth. So that's. It's like the it's like the old joke of the Rebbe. He has the kasha. Why is why why is Noach right? Ewa told us Noach. Why is it written with a, with with a chaf nun chaf? So he has a whole pilpul. So it says kids kids Rebbe, but it says with a chet Noach. You're right, but uh, my terrace is better. <laughs> <laughs> you've taught us over the years. Right. Take a look at the text. 
Of course. Look at the text simply. Right. Come to the conclusion on the basis of what we see in the text. Right. That's been your method. That is true. I plead guilty to that, but I but I but let me make my suggestion about the text. Okay. <laughs> right. That's right. Not, okay. Right. Text. Right. Now, first of all, what struck me is very. Let me say how I got to this whole thing. I got to it because I've been thinking a lot about Hannah's prayer. Now, the truth is I'm going to speak about Hannah's prayer on the 22nd of September in the Rudolph lecture. So I'm not going to say too much about Hannah's prayer now. Hannah's prayer is a big topic. But what struck me about Hannah's prayer, which is the first chapter of Shmuel, a beloved book, and its book begins by saying, the third verse, that Elkanah, that's Hannah's husband, would go up from his city Miyamim yamim, periodically go from the city, He would go up to Hashem Tzvaot in Shiloh, which was the temple. The main temple was in Shiloh. We know the story. He goes up, he gives Chana more, more gifts, he loves Chana so much, but the other wife is uh, making her life miserable, she can't even eat anything. He says, listen, forget about the, your, your, your dreams about the kids, it's not going to happen, but you have me, whatever. And she goes to Shiloh, and she's very bitter. And she prays to God, and she's crying. And she took a vow. And she said, Oh God of hosts, if you will see the suffering of your, of your maidservant. So here's what's interesting. Elkado goes up to Hashem Tzvot in Shiloh, periodically. And when Khan is davening, so what God is she davening? She's davening to Hashem Tzvaot. The, word, the, the phrase Hashem Tzvaot, I checked this up, appears many, many times in the Bible. <coughs> I think it's two, about 280 times. It appears in the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah many, many times. What is the first time we ever in the Bible have the word, the name Hashem Tzvaot? How many times does it appear in the Torah, Hashem Tzvaot? How many times in Joshua? How many times in Judges? The answer is this, zero. Never appears before. The first time it ever appears is in the first story of Shmuel. That's what I began to think. Shmuel, by the way, is, is a, is a never-ending proposition because every time you open it up, you realize something new about this. And this is very interesting about how the book plays with this term, Hashem Tzvot. But what struck me was you know, it's not that, they, you know, there's the, the big fight, the, the medievals had a big, the Kabbalists had a big fight, because some Kabbalists said when you pray, you pray to a certain aspect of God. You pray to one of the spheros. And the other said, that's heresy. What do you mean? One God. Maybe that is heresy. But God does appear, as people appear to us in, in, in different guises. The God who saved us in the desert, who cares for us, who gives us man, is different. It's the same God, but appears in a different way as the God who who, who destroys the Egyptian armies at the sea, etc. So when Hannah is praying, she turns to Hashem Tzvot. And what struck me is that we have our, our Amida. We start the Amida, Brucha to Hashem, We are praying to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the traditional service. Okay, fine. There's a whole discussion about that. Leave that aside. But what struck me was that before we get to the morning prayer, to the Shemona Esrei in the morning, we have the mitzvah to say the Shema, and the blessings around the Shema, and the last blessing of the Shema, Baruch Atah Hashem Ga'al Yisrael, 
O Redeemer of Israel, the halacha makes it very clear. You've got to say that blessing before you pray in the morning. You can't say the, Sh- the Shemona Esrei until you said Ga'al Yisrael. And Ga'al Yisrael, the Redeemer of Israel, at the end of the, towards the very end of the blessing, we say, Micha Mocha Ba'ilim Hashem, right? We say, Micha Mocha. At the song we all sang, the new song of Micha Mocha, right? Shira Chadosha Shibchu Giyurim, those who were redeemed sang a new song. Yachad Kulam Hodu Vimrichu Vimru, and they all said, Hashem Yimrochu Yoram Va'ed. So Hashem Yimrochu Yoram Va'ed is found, actually, towards the very end of the blessing that precedes the Amidah. And then we say the following Tzu Yisrael Kumabi, the Edot Mizrach don't say that, Kumabi, they skip that, but let's say we say it. And then the Nusach Svar is Venemar, we, we don't say Venemar. And we have, Goaleinu Hashem Tzvaot Shemo Kedosh Yisrael. What is Goaleinu Hashem Tzvaot Shemo Kedosh Yisrael? You know what that is? It's a verse from Isaiah. It's a Pasuk. We are ending, the last words we say before we start our silent prayer is, Hashem Yimrochu Yolam, two verses. Three, Mikamocha, Hashem Yimrochu Yolam Va'ed, and Goaleinu Hashem Tzvaot Shemo, our Redeemer, our Goel, who's the Redeemer? The God of Hashem Tzvaot. I would say the God of Chan, actually. So we are starting our Shemona Esrei, Kedosh Yisrael. The, 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 the Kedosh, the Holy One of Israel, is Hashem Tzvaot. And what struck me as very interesting is that Uvechein Tein Pachtecha, which does begin with Atok Kadosh, Meshibcha Kadosh, but it ends with, how does it end? The end of the blessing. The end is, Kadosh Atav and Ara Shemecha. God is Kadosh and Nora. Right? And we quite a verse. That the Hashem Tzvaot is raised up in Mishpat and exalted in, 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 in Tzedakah. Mishpat and Tzedakah, right? Mishpat and Tzedakah is what the king does, is, is, is righteousness, is justice. What kind of king is God on Rosh Hashanah? It's a, a whole, a, God is holy because the holy king. And the holy king is doing righteousness, is doing justice. Tzedakah or Mishmat. So it strikes me that actually, that Uvechein Tein Pachtecha, which talks about God's sanctity on Rosh Hashanah in particular, talks about the holy king. And the holy king, the name of the holy king, is Hashem Tzvaot. So yesterday I was very curious, and it's, it's certainly right, by the way. I looked at Isaiah over and over again. talks about Hashem Tzvot as a king. That's the, but what struck me, apart from the fact that it's interesting that this is the way Chana... Chana prays for a king, actually. She says it explicitly in chapter 2. God should give us a king, right? That's what she's praying for. It struck me, more, even more than that, that Uvechein Tein Pachtecha is directly connected to, to the end, to, to that which introduces... That's what introduces the the uh, the uh, amida, because what introduces the amida is the blessing of redemption. But in particular, what introduces the amida is the song of the sea, Shibatayam, Right? It's all about the song of the sea. Mikamocha is what they said. Hashem yimrocha yolam va'ed is the end of the song of the sea. Right? And it struck me that uvechein tein pachdecha is at its core an interpretation. Of the song of the sea, it even begins that way. Right? 
right? Pachan and Ema. What is the song of the sea? What does it say? Mikamocha Bailim. We all said Mikamocha, right? And God took God right hand, right? They swallowed her up in the ground. And you will bring us into the land. And the nations trembled. All the nations of the world are trembling. That's the first paragraph here. This chil, right? It's all fear. It's all about fear. And the last. That's how you start. So in other words, it exactly picks up on the language of Shiratayam, which is sandwiched right in between Mikamocha on one hand and Hashem Yimrochu Yolam on the other. And even more interesting is that the words that precede this blessing, which is Atok Kadosh, Vishibcha Kadosh, what is the end of the previous blessing? Mikamocha Baal Right? That's the way. So you, it's right in between Mikamocha, which precedes it, and Hashem Yimloch Yolam Ve'ed, right? Hamelach Hamelach Kadosh. And Uvechetein Pachdecha is the poem of, of uh, Uvechet is related to all which comes before. Maybe Mikamocha, but in particular, I think it is Hashem Yimloch Yolam Ve'ed. God will reign over everything, over everyone. Uvechetein Pachdecha, the first paragraph is about all of creation, because the Song of the Sea is about how all the nations of the world are silent, and then it continues, until we cross over to the other side, and there it's actually, when you read it, we read it from the standpoint of, of where we are. We know that they're going to go to the other side, but those who sang it at the sea, they don't know that. <coughs> There, it, it's an aspiration that Yavor, until some day, you bring us to the other side, and you tviyem over titaemo, right? And you bring us machol shift mikdash Hashem. You bring us to the holy place, to the mikdash. Hashem yibrochu yolav vaed. So, in other words, uvechetei pachtecha is essentially, I would say, it functions. I would say the following, because why? Why do we? It's very beautiful. <coughs> But I want to end with a different point. But what's the second? So for a second, I want to end with a different point. Which is, if you think about it, if it starts by referring to the fact that the nations of the world are, are, are trembling, are, are frightened, but it ends with an aspiration. That the world will reflect God's values. That they will merge a king, because the text and the Book of Shmuel believe that it's possible that the human king can reflect God's values, that's the ideal David, who's mentioned over here. But it's, it's actually, a, I would say, a preface to what comes afterwards. That the, the way it functions, at least in the Musaf, the Malchiot of Yochelem ben Nuri can be even seen as a preamble to the Malchiot of Rabbi Akiva. It talks about what happened once at the sea, because after all, Geula in Shachrit is what must precede the, the, the service. You, you enter into the service with a sense that redemption is possible. That's the that's idea of if you, think, if you think it's impossible, you can't pray. If you think nothing's ever going to change, you can't pray. You have to believe in some place that maybe things could be better. That's how you have to start the prayer. That's the idea of Otherwise, there's no point. It's just mumbling words, so don't waste your time. But, but the point is, if you believe it is possible, 
and you go back, it happened once in the past. One, there was a redemption in the past, and the world was silenced. And we aspire to go to the Migdash Hashem, where God will be the supreme king. And that's the prayer of Yochanan ben Nuri, basically. And that's how it ends. It refers back to the God to whom we pray. The God to whom we pray, the God to whom Hannah prayed, actually, was, 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 was God the king. Hashem Tzvaot, that's her prayer. It's the only prayer we have where we address Hashem Tzvaot. And I would just conclude before uh, you make your point, that what's interesting is Hashem Tzvaot, actually, appears not only in the, in the, in the verse before the Amidah, not only does it appear at the end of the section over here of Yochanan ben Nuri, the Malchiot of Yochanan ben Nuri, but it actually appears in another place too, in the davening of Rosh Hashanah. The davening of Rosh Hashanah has 30 verses. 30. 10 in Malchiot, 10 in Zichronot, 10 in Shofrot. The last verse, the 30th verse, doesn't mention Shofar actually, it's very striking. But the 29th verse mentions Shofar. And what is that verse? It's a verse for the prophetic hope. Right? And that day will come. Hashem Elohim Bashofar Yitka. God will sound the shofar. Vaalach Bisarot Teiman. And God will walk among the whirlwinds of Teiman. Hashem Tzvaot Yogain Alehem. Hashem Tzvaot will, will, will protect them. That's the end of the verse. Will protect whom? The ones that God is redeeming. Okay. And then. The, 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 the prayer, the author of the prayer adds, You should redeem Israel with your peace. Why did, the, why did the prayer book add that phrase? It's not part of the verse. The verse ends is, Hashem tzvot yogen alayhem. It ends with Hashem tzvot. Our prayers always end with peace, by the way. So the Akeim Bishlomecha means, says the, says the Machser, this is where Shofar, this is where it really ends. It ends with Hashem Tzvot, because the 30th verse is very striking. Does it, we have a 10th verse that doesn't mention Shofar. That's the Chatzot So essentially, one might say that the end of the Malchiot of Yochelet ben Nuri, and the end of the Malchiot of Rabbi Akiva, and the end of our service of, of the of Kriyashva, which introduces, it's all the same God. It's Hashem Tzvot, which is the God of Chana, actually. Which, of course, is the Torah re- the Haftorah reading for Rosh Hashanah. And it struck me that the Haftorah reading, that Chana, who's the great, uh, the great architect of prayer, actually, that, her, that she's front and center in Rosh Hashanah, not just in the Torah reading, but actually the God to whom we pray, God, God the King. We, we, we are aspiring for a better world in which the values of God are, rec- are realized, and not only that, we believe in the service in this section that it's possible for the human being to reflect that in the person of the David of, of our prayers. So that's what I think the Vechain is. <coughs> what do you want to say? Amazing. So you said earlier that you thought that Chana was praying for David for a Melech. But if I'm looking at the text of Hashem Tzvakot, I see it in the context of Goalenu. I wonder if Hannah is really doubting for a go-out. And if she is, then let's go back to... The well, she says, she says explicitly, Melech. Mm-hmm. But the term Hashem Tzvakot is used here in the davening as a part of the re- of redemption. Go That's true. Yeah, so 
then I'm going back to we've talked about whether this comes from uh, the concept of Kadosh, the, the, all these therefores, or the Melaka Kadosh. Are you arguing now that maybe Ubechen Ten Paktaka comes out of the sense of Gaal Yisrael? Yes, I am, among other things. So it's a conglomerate of a number of things. I'm saying that, that yes. Offering. What I'm suggesting, and I, have to, I can't get into this now, maybe next time I'll talk about this, is that there are two different things that are happening. The third blessing of the Shemot Esrei, Atok Kadosh, okay? I'm just going to say this now, but I can't. Uh, maybe next week I'll, I'll explain it better. I mentioned the, the Paitanim. Here's something that's extraordinarily interesting about the Paitanim, and it's, and it's actually very true. If you, if you study it, just on the way here on the bus, I was looking at this, and I realized this is so true. The Shemona Esrei, our prayer, describes God. Ha'el ha'gadol ha'gibar v'hanora. Three terms, verses in Deuteronomy, Dvarim. God is Godol, God is big, powerful, and, 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 and terrifying, frightening. Godol, Gibar, Venora. It's a verse. What the, what, the, what the poets, the great poets understood, Kalir and his group, what they understood, the way they understood is that Godol, Gibar, and Nora, those three terms, each one refers to a particular person. Godol is Abraham, Gibar is Isaac. And Norah is Jacob. Now, the reason Norah is Jacob is because <coughs> when Jacob goes to sleep in the sacred place, in the temple, right? And it's very striking that it ends with So you see that the, the, the poet, whoever wrote this, already combines Kadosh and Norah. Elsewhere it appears also in the davening. So it's a, it's a reflection on Jacob. Jacob goes to sleep. And what does Jacob see when he goes to sleep, by the way? He sees the angels going up and down the staircase, up and down the ladder. In other words, where, where, where are they going to, those angels? What's on top of the staircase? Of course, it's the, the heavenly Jerusalem. It's God's temple. God's on top. There's a temple in the heaven. That's God's temple. We, 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 we can never go there. That's where the angels go. That's God's tzava. God also has an army below. The, the army below is what Jacob says. If you give me the opportunity, I'll build, I'll, I'll build Beit Elohim down here. So what Jacob is saying essentially is, the same way there are angels above, we have our responsibility below. And we, in the third blessing of the, of the Shavona Esrei, we say, we say this all the time. With, with something that we recite all the time. It's called, it's called Kedusha. That's exactly, the Kedusha is Jacob's dream. So therefore, the Paitanim are on a very good and interesting path. Maybe next week I'll explain how they, how they expanded this idea, which is phenomenally interesting. So that's the point of Tzvaot. Tzvaot is two arms. Tzvaot is two, yes. There's the, the heavenly above. and host, and there's the, right. Okay. Stop over here.